crack your back and your khaki-checked rucksacks, you jam-packed slatteries. Welcome to the Blind Buy Podcast. If this is your first podcast and you're a new listener, go back to an earlier episode. Don't start with this one, okay? There's just too much for you to take in at this time, and that's okay. If you're a regular listener, what's the crack? I'm up late recording this one. I've just used some retinol eye cream on my eyelids to lubricate my blinking. Um, so this week's podcast is... It's, a, it's kind of a music podcast and it's kind of a philosophical hot take podcast. I'm not quite sure. I think it's going to be a short-ish podcast, but I always say that and then they're not. But we'll see how it goes. This is going to be p- part music podcast, part philosophy podcast, 100% podcast hug. Okay. So my days are currently taken up mostly with my Twitch stream, um, which is my latest venture, my latest venture during this pandemic. Several times a week, I live stream at night times. I'm making music, playing video games, playing a video game called Red Dead Redemption, and I'm writing and performing a live musical to the events that are happening in the game, and recording this live and putting it out live to an audience. Twitch.tv forward slash the blind by podcast. You can see it tonight at half nine if you want. I'm doing it Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Tune in. But anyway, most of you have probably gotten a squint at it so far or seen some of the videos of what I, of what I'm doing. And what one thing it's making me notice is so I'm I'm able to play musical instruments live, okay? So I can play guitar, I can play bass, I wish I was better at piano, I'm okay at piano, I wish I was better, I can do percussion. But because I'm doing this as a live stream and people are watching, I have to, the skill I have to develop is I have to become more rapid and quicker at how quickly I reach the desired set of notes. If I'm writing a fucking song live, I'm trying to write a song live, songwriting as a process, it takes a long time because I've got a guitar or a keyboard and I'm messing around with cards to find the right ones to make a song. But watching someone messing around with cards isn't particularly entertaining to watch so I have to write songs but also make it entertaining to write songs which is something new and the key to that is how can I get to the best chords as quick as possible so what I've been doing is relearning music theory especially with piano just sharpening up my skills and thinking back to when I first learned how to play guitar and first learned how to play piano in order to do it. And it was in doing this, in learning music theory and learning about things like scales, learning about chords on the piano, stuff that I hadn't thought about in many, many years 
because I didn't have to. Going back to that brought up like childhood memories for me, in particular with guitar. So I, I first learned how to play guitar when I was about four or five years of age because one of my older brothers, who was very much into their music and was a musician, just made sure I was able to play guitar. He he himself was a musician and he used to notice that I would, as a little child, I would respond quite actively to music. I, I would get very excited about hearing T-Rex or David Bowie or whatever was playing on the radio. So he was able to notice that I was responding to music. So he got me to learn guitar when I was four or five years of age. Now, I I learned it. I remember, I remember being five years of age and my fingers bleeding playing guitar, which is anyone who learns guitar, fingers bleeding, is, is that's something you have to do. Your fingers have to bleed if you're learning guitar and practicing and then your fi- fingers toughen up. And I was learning guitar at that age. Then I gave it up. And I only properly relearned guitar then at about 16. When I was about 8 or 9, I started learning piano. But what got what, what it got me thinking about was the first ever, and I'd forgotten about this completely, the first ever guitar that I owned. So when I was four or five years of age and my brother was like, okay, I got to teach him how to play guitar, but he's fucking tiny. He's a little child. How He can't hold my adult-sized guitar. So now I got to get him a child-sized guitar. So my brother went about procuring a child-sized guitar. And this is where the story gets it's odd and it's something I'd, I'd kind of I'd forgotten this from my memory and it's something I don't actually say to people either because it's a fact that's so bizarre it, it sounds like I'm lying and that it's the type of lie that makes me sound unhinged and I remembered it this week and that's what I want to talk about before I get into what it is specifically I did a podcast before on a very special carpet that was in my house when I was growing up, right? I did a full podcast on this carpet. So my father, as I mentioned to you, used to work in Shannon Airport. He had a desk job in Shannon Airport, customer service. And this would have been... He he was working there since the 60s. So he, he was working in Shannon Airport, 60s, 70s, 80s, and I think early 90s. And the thing with Shannon Airport, which is, it's not in Limerick, but it's Limerick is the closest city to Shannon Airport. Shannon Airport used to be very, very important internationally, especially in the, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Because Shannon Airport is the most western airport in Europe. And... If you flew from America to Europe in the 60s, you had to stop in Shannon Airport. You had to, all right? There was no way to get from New York to Germany or wherever without stopping in Shannon Airport. So Shannon Airport was a very, very important airport. 
it's not important anymore. Unfortunately, the only thing that's keeping Shannon Airport open is US military flights, which I don't agree with and a lot of people don't agree with. But there was once a time when all passenger flights from the US had to stop in Shannon Airport, which meant my dad met a lot of famous people in his day-to-day job. He met a lot of very... Anyone who was famous in the 60s, 70s and 80s was in Shannon Airport. Assuming they left America and went to Europe or vice versa, they were in Shannon Airport. Like Michael Jackson, the Pope, Bob Dylan, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, Mother Teresa, Che Guevara, David Bowie, Kate Bush, everyone was in Shannon Airport. And if they were really famous, they went to the VIP lounge in Shannon Airport. So one day, the VIP lounge were getting a new carpet and my dad went to the workman and said, what are you doing with the carpet in the VIP lounge? Like, you're, you're ripping it up. Now, this was a really good good quality carpet. This was a 100% wool carpet. It would have been very, very expensive. Far more expensive than what my dad could afford. And he went to the workers who were putting up the carpet and said, what are you doing with it? And the lad said, we're throwing it into a skip. So he said, can I have the carpet? And they said, go on, take the carpet. So he took the carpet, got, it, got a loan of a van or something, took the carpet from the Shannon Airport VIP lounge, took it back to my house and put the carpet in the front room of my house. And I was a little child. And I, he used to say to me, and my brothers would say to me, because this was the carpet in the room where, where music was listened to, he would say, every famous person you can think of has stood on our living room carpet. Michael Jackson stood there. Bob Dylan stood there. David Bowie stood there. And when I was a little child listening to music in that front room, I would visualise, I'd be listening to T-Rex or David Bowie when I was a little kid and I'd be touching the carpet going, not only am I listening to this incredible music, but they stood here. And then I used to go to school and tell the teachers that the Pope stood on my carpet, that Michael Jackson stood on my carpet. And I'd get in trouble because I sounded mad. But it was true. It was a fact. A famous carpet was in my living room because my dad got it out of the airport. It's now gone. A square of it remains. My mother uses it to line the back of the boot of her car. I think I did a full podcast on this carpet but three years ago. The reason I gave the full story to it there is... Because not everyone's been listening to this podcast in its entirety. Well, that's not that's not a fact I just kind of throw out. And, and like I said, I grew up being chastised for that fact because it's not very believable. It's very strange, you know, but it's true. The other fact, and I just remembered it this fucking week, and this is what is going to inspire this week's podcast... So, taking it back there to my first ever guitar when I was a child, right? So, my brother wanted me to learn how to play guitar. But he didn't have a child's guitar 
to give me. And he'd have been like fucking 19. My parents didn't have a lot of money. He wasn't going into town buying me a child's guitar. So he took it upon himself to figure out how can I get a child's guitar. So he called over to his friend's house. And whatever way the conversation was going, the friend happened to have a guitar upstairs. It was a child's guitar. So my brother was like, fuck it, can, can I have the child's guitar? And the friend was a bit apprehensive, going, okay, I'll give you the guitar, but you, will you mind it? And my brother's like, yeah, of course I'll mind it. Look, it's just, it's just for my little brother. I want him to be able to learn guitar on a child's guitar, and you have a child's guitar, and nothing's happening with it. Can I just have it? So the friend went, okay, yeah, but... Uh, I think it's a really important guitar. And my brother was like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, you know who I'm a cousin with. And this is Limerick now. And my brother goes, yeah, Billy Idol. You know, he's one of the most famous people in the world. And that's your party piece. This is Limerick. I think everybody knows that your cousin is Billy Idol. And Billy Idol, Billy Idol was this artist in the 1980s who, this would have been the early 90s when this conversation is happening. But Billy Idol, one of the biggest artists in the world of the 1980s. You definitely know, he's got a song, what is this? It's a white wedding. Nice day for a white wedding. And he's got a song called Rebel Yell. Billy Idol was huge. He was part of what's known as the second British invasion. Which is when, when MTV became a thing in America in the early 80s, you had bands like Dire Straits, um, Duran Duran, The Police and Billy Idol were English artists who became huge and it was the second British invasion because the first one would have been the 60s when you had the Kinks and the Beatles becoming huge in America. But Billy Idol anyway uh, is like half Irish, right? And his ma or something is Irish and members of the family happened to live in Limerick, and my brother was friends with one of them. So the he came back to the house to me with this guitar, this little guitar, and he just said, this is Billy Idol's childhood guitar. And it's just a regular, like, acoustic guitar, and there were some drawings on it and stuff. But the first guitar I ever received was... The guitar you are going to learn how to play music on is Billy Idol's childhood guitar. And again, this was another thing. I would go into school and say to the teachers, I'm I'm learning guitar on Billy Idol's guitar. And then they'd go, ah, yeah, yeah. And the Pope was on your carpet as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'd just think I was a strange little child. But no... I actually, in my gaff, had a carpet that Michael Jackson and the Popes stood on. And my first guitar as a child was Billy Idol's. As far as I know. Alright, as far as I know. My brother's friend is most definitely Billy Idol's first cousin. Without a doubt. And he said, this guitar... Now, here's the thing... If you're listening to this now and you're going, blind boy, you're making shit up now. 
because you want podcast content. I'm not. I'm not. Let's look at the facts here. For a fact, my brother's friend is Billy Idol's first cousin. For a fact. Right? The friend is saying, this guitar somehow made its way over to Ireland. Probably a cousin or an uncle or someone was like, that's Billy Idol's childhood guitar, can I have it? And then someone said, yeah, you can. But I have strong reason to believe that this is Billy Idol's childhood guitar. You can't do a DNA test on a guitar. It's a child's guitar. It's old. And I have reason, strong reason to believe that this is Billy Idol's childhood guitar. And I still have it because it's in my mother's attic. I hadn't thought about that fucking guitar until this week when I'm relearning music theory. And when I'm relearning music theory and going back to when I first learned instruments, it just, this memory came up. I was like, oh fuck, I remember being a little child playing guitar and my fingers bleeding. The first song I ever learned was, it was Eddie Cochran, was it? What the fuck was it? Summertime Blues by Eddie Cochran. Because it's just a straight blues song. And I would have been obsessed with T-Rex. Mark Boland, who had a cover of Summertime Blues. And my brother taught me that on guitar, and I was able to play Summertime Blues by the time I was five. And then I stopped playing guitar. But Billy Idol's childhood guitar, and I still have it, was my childhood guitar. I can't confirm 100%, but I have strong reason to believe that it is. So, after ruminating on that, I just kind of got thinking... Fucking hell. What's Billy Idol up to? You know, because I hadn't thought about Billy Idol in a long time. I I vaguely remember his songs because I would have been an act, like a baby in the 80s. And then I'm kind of like... Just thinking the other day, fuck it, he was fucking huge. And then he kind of disappeared. I wonder what happened. I wonder what happened to Billy Idol that he just... You just don't hear about him anymore. I mean, the last I heard of Billy Idol was maybe 10 years ago when I was playing a game called Grand Theft Auto Vice City and White Wedding was on the soundtrack and that was the last I heard of Billy Idol. He made a cameo in a film called The Wedding Singer with Adam Sandler around 1998. But other than that, haven't heard much from Billy Idol and it made me want to Wikipedia him. Made me want to check him out. Just just, just to wonder, how does someone go from being U2 or Michael Jackson big to, with all due respect, kind of being forgotten about? I, I, mean, I don't mean that in a mean way, but you don't hear B- B- Billy Idol's name being brought up an awful lot. Okay? And I mean that with all due respect. So I wondered, how does that happen? H- how do you go from... Being one of the biggest artists in the world to, to not being one of the biggest artists in the world suddenly. I'm a very curious person. I'm very passionate about music. If you've listened to my music podcasts, you know that I, I'll research and think about music at a, at a very with great depth. All right. I, I have a tolerance for I have a fascination with music and music culture. That goes beyond that level. But most people would just think that it's getting boring now. 
and I'm like, no, 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 I need to go further, I need to go further. So I fell into a fucking hole at about two in the morning, the other night, finding out what happened to Billy Idol. And the answer is fucking fascinating. It's fascinating and it's incredibly relevant. And that's what I want to do this week's podcast on. The answers that I found fascinated me. So, Billy Idol was was massive up until about 1991. And then it's like something happened in 1992 where he just, he, he, he did a huge gamble and it didn't work. And then that was enough for him to stop being huge and for him to slowly fade into... I don't... A word like obscurity is mean. He stopped being Michael Jackson famous. And went... Just went a bit quiet. Um, One thing I do remember... When I received his childhood guitar... Around that period... Is... I remember my brother talking about Billy Idol being in... A car crash... No, 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 no... A motorbike crash... And him being very injured. And I remember him speaking about it because his family in Ireland were worried. Because it was quite a serious motorcycle crash. And he was very lucky to escape it alive. And I do remember that being a little child. So when Billy Idol was in this motorbike crash. And it made shite of his legs, right? He was... Recovering for quite a long time. If you've got uh, very badly broken legs, you're talking about it's it's a year. You're you're a year out of circulation. You're six months sitting down with casts on your legs. Another six months properly recuperating. That was the extent of the injuries that Billy Idol had, and this would have been about 1991. So, when Billy Idol was recovering from his broken leg, he did an interview with a journalist. Now, another thing about this podcast is there's going to be two instances in this podcast of what's known as nominative determinism, which is one of my favourite things. and I love it when it happens. Nominative determinism is when a person's name or second name, their name, determines that person's career or achievements in some way, right? And it's rare... But this podcast has got two relevant instances of it. The first one is this. So Billy Idol, 1991, is recovering with a broken leg. And he does an interview with a journalist, a music journalist, whose name happens to be Legs McNeil. And while Billy Idol is lying with his legs astray in front of him, broken, the journalist Legs McNeil notices that Billy Idol as part of his recuperation has got pads on his legs that are called um, EMS pads electric muscle stimulator you might remember 15 years ago on TV or in the Argos catalogue they used to sell these things that was like electric pads that you put on your belly and you don't have to do any exercise you just turn them on and they work your muscles and you'll get a six pack by just plugging these these pads onto your belly right that's ems it's ems is 
you know, people selling them to fucking grow muscles, I think they're bullshitting. But EMS is used for someone with a broken leg. If someone has a broken leg and it's been in a cast for six months and that leg, the muscle wears away on the leg to the point that the person might have difficulty even walking because they no longer have the strength in their muscles to hold their body up, EMS is used to strengthen that muscle without exercise. So the pad is on the leg and it sends an electrical charge to the muscle which stimulates it and can cause growth. So Billy Idol has his legs up talking to a man called Legs with electronic pads on his legs and Legs says to him those things that are on your legs and this is during an interview those things that are on your legs uh, make you look like a cyborg it's very cyberpunk and then Billy Idol says what? what are you talking about Legs? and Legs goes your, your legs they're very cyberpunk you're like a cyborg you're like half man half machine you know with those pads I didn't mean anything by it just you look like a cyborg so the interview finishes and then Billy Idol is like cyberpunk fuck is cyberpunk that sounds pretty cool fuck is that and the thing is now with Billy Idol Billy Idol's image so Billy Idol started off in the 70s as as an actual punk he would have been late 70s part of the British punk movement of which the Sex Pistols were involved he was in a band called Generation X and Billy Idol's roots are that of an authentic genuine punk and punk was all about DIY aesthetics rejecting record labels rejecting punk was a rejection of like in Britain anyway Punk was very working class, like Billy, Billy Idol is a working class Englishman, um, a, a fucking, you know, half Irish working class Englishman. And punk was a, a working class DIY movement in Britain that was very much a reaction to um, progressive rock, which in Britain at the time, by the late 70s, prog rock was very middle class, if not upper class. Prog rock musicians were middle class posh kids that had been trained in, classically trained in oboe and violin since they were kids because they'd been to private school and that was part of their education. So you had bands like, not so much Pink Floyd, but like Emerson, Lake and Palmer and yes, Rick Wakeman. And they were very accomplished, virtuoso musicians doing this huge stadium rock, but it didn't say anything to the working class youth of Britain. So punk came out of that as a rejection. It's like, we don't need to be able to be virtuosos on violins. We just need a guitar and three chords and we can set up our own gig in a pub and we don't need a record label and that's punk. And Billy Idol was part of that movement in the late 70s. But Billy Idol got famous in the 80s by appropriating the image of punk. So, like, if you think of White Wedding and... Billy Idol's stuff, where he became huge on MTV as part of the second British invasion, it was, it that wasn't punk, that's pop rock. But he looked like a punk. He looked like a healthy, well-fed version of Sid Vicious or Johnny Rotten. Um, enough rebellion about him that it would piss off your parents, but 
good looking enough that you'd get a huge amount of, of screaming female fans. So it was the pop iconic appropriation of punk aesthetics for an, the MTV generation. And that was Billy Idol's thing in the 80s. But with all due respect, he's rooted in genuine uh, 19, late 1970s British punk. So Billy Idol's lying there with his leg and Legs, the journalist, says to him, you look like a cyborg. This is very cyberpunk. Billy, when the interview was over, Billy Idol couldn't stop thinking about that word. Cyberpunk. The punk part is what stuck with him. He's like, cyberpunk. The fuck is that? So then he went finding out what cyberpunk is while he's laid flat with these fucking pads stuck into his body. Now this is 1992. Billy Idol's... Possibly the biggest musician in the world, definitely in the top ten, and he's now obsessing about cyberpunk. Now, cyberpunk, I could do a whole separate podcast on it, which I probably will at one point, but I'm going to give you a brief overview of what it is. Cyberpunk is two things it's a genre of science fiction. By 1992, it was also very much kind of a movement. Um, a movement of people trying to live their lives as cyberpunks but just from a science fiction point of view Blade Runner is cyberpunk cyberpunk is a genre of science fiction which is dystopian dystopian means that it was science fiction about a near enough future the thing with cyberpunk is, is cyberpunk science fiction was very much right now 2020 Blade Runner is set in 2019. Cyberpunk is about now, 2020, post-millennium. And it was... You can trace its roots to French comic books from the 1970s. Um, Philip K. Dick, who wrote Blade Runner. Um, an English writer called J.G. Ballard. And the most quintessential cyberpunk science fiction writer is William Gibson. William Gibson wrote a book called Neuromancer, which is, it's the genre-defining cyberpunk novel, I believe in the early 80s, which is about, it's about a hacker, it's a, it's about a hacker who I think takes on giant corporations or something, Um, 1982, a tabletop game comes out called Cyberpunk 2020, which is heavily influenced by the work of William Gibson. And I, I, there's there's the Blade Runner Cyberpunk, which is cyborgs and what does it mean to be human. And then there's the William Gibson uh, Cyberpunk, which is... Is it satirical? It's... The early internet plays a huge part in William Gibson-style cyberpunk. The early internet. The... I suppose what cyber and punk, what it is, is a dystopian vision of the future whereby governments are replaced by corporations, right? And the corporations control and own freedom because they control technology and the cyberpunks are rebellious outlaws who use the technology of the corporations against them to, like a Robin Hood. 
it's it's Robin Hood but with an early version of the internet and cyberpunk like cyberpunk pretty much really did it really predicts right now it really really does um I mean it's huge influences for cyberpunk the early internet Reaganomics early 80s the policies of both Reagan and Thatcher in the UK what do you see around then you see the creeping neoliberalism what is neoliberalism neoliberalism is when a government um, instead of running things through public services instead of we say hospitals being run by the government the government instead hands the hospitals over to private corporations and this you really see the start of this aggressively in the 1980s with Thatcher and with Reagan so these fears of oh fuck if they're not stopped what's it going to be like in 2020 will the corporations become more powerful than governments and will they run everything and yeah yeah they have look at the last election there Donald Trump look at look at the fucking Brexit look at the role that Facebook and Google and how these things were exploited by hackers um, look at how this has shaped our political landscape today um, there's strong reason to believe that Brexit exists and Donald Trump is in power because of outside interference by Russian hackers or if they're not Russian someone else who managed to spread disinformation on Facebook and Google and things like that which convinced people and now are trust in what is real information and what is what is trustworthy information and what is untrustworthy we can't do it anymore because the internet has been exploited by sources that want to confuse us so that right there there's your cyberpunk dystopia we're living in it right now okay the corporations which are facebook and google don't give a fuck facebook and google want our data our data is the most important commodity in the world right now it's more more important than petrol it's more important than gold data what is data data is our phones record every single aspect of our behavior this is recorded and sold as information which is valuable so that's our data we're living in a cyberpunk future we're living in the cyberpunk dystopia right now okay so it got it right hackers and big corporations and data is shaping quite is shaping our reality okay like e- even right now like what what I'm doing with my life right now you know in my studio right now which is like I've got neon lights all over the place I'm consciously I've consciously embraced the cyberpunk aesthetic in my studio because I grew up watching Blade Runner I love cyberpunk aesthetics so visually my studio ironically looks like a cyberpunk 2020 setting but in unironically there's a global pandemic right now which means that I have my live streaming setup looks like it's out of a science fiction film from 1992 I've got multiple monitors hooked up on 
pulleys and cables with several cameras snaking out of these arms and I have this bizarre machine in my studio with screens and cameras and things hanging off it that looks like something from Akira or a machine that's described in the pages of Neuromancer and what makes it cyberpunk is that's not necessarily intentional I own this live broadcasting machine and I don't leave my house because there's a global pandemic and my job right now is to is to create musicals about a virtual video game environment to an audience of thousands who just want to have some type of human connection because they can't leave their houses because of a global pandemic. That's dystopian cyberpunk future and that's my reality, our reality right now. So we live in the cyberpunk dystopia. I've digressed. I have definitely digressed from Billy fucking Idol's leg. But I need to... I need to tell you what cyberpunk is before I continue on with the Billy Idol's leg story. Um, And I'm just realising as I'm talking about this. I can't talk about... Cyberpunk isn't a science fiction genre anymore. It's not this cool cyborg neon Blade Runner Akira thing anymore. It's, It's our lived reality. And we don't have flying cars... Um, people aren't physically merging a, a huge tenet of cyberpunk 2 is within the dystopia it's it's people merging with machines that you plug a machine into your body we don't have that but we're most certainly merging with machines um, our consciousness is listen you've got a social media account how much of your day how much of your real emotions your everyday stresses your fears, your worries are caused by or centred around the version of yourself that is on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. There is a version of you on all of these social media as something that you curate yourself and the version of you on Instagram is different to the version of you on Twitter. There's things you say on Instagram that you won't say on Twitter, that you won't say on Facebook and you have micromanaged different personalities for yourself that you care about in real emotional terms that have actual real consequences and then there's your actual physical fucking life that you can feel and touch the ground with people that you meet face to face. But right now during this pandemic, 90% of my lived experience is my virtual self. I have, my consciousness has merged with the machine of social media. And so has everyone else's. So that's cyberpunk. That's what they got that right too. But in 1992, when Billy Idol had a broken leg and the journalist whose name was Legs said to him, you look like a cyborg from cyberpunk. In 1992, cyberpunk was just science fiction. So before I get on to where I'm going with this, it's the halfway point. It's time for an ocarina pause. I don't have the ocarina this week. Uh, I, all my ocarinas went into the dishwasher. Um, and they're just in the other room. Plus, I've, I've, I've gotten a bit bored of the ocarina. I now have several new instruments that I use for live streaming. So why not make the most of them? So I think this week we're going to have a castanet pause. A castanet is a traditional flamenco Spanish percussion instrument. Um, so while I do the castanet pause, that's when a digital advert... Again, pure cyberpunk, lads. A digital advert is going to be inserted here by ACAST, 
right? And y- you're all you're all listening to this podcast, but each one of you is going to hear a different advert. And the advert that gets inserted to the podcast that you hear is dependent upon your data. So if you if if you if you spent the week fucking I don't know going onto your phone speaking to your friends about soccer or reading up about soccer on your phone, then there's a chance that the advert that you hear might be sports related. But if instead you spent the week um I don't know looking up cooking and food and that's what you've been putting your data into your phone, then you might hear an advert that has something to do with food. And your data and your cyborg relationship with your phone is about to determine the advert that is generated and and placed into this podcast that I have no control over. So let's just play a Spanish flamenco castanet in honour of that. I, do you know what? I'm talking about this is all rational reality and things that are happening. And I sound mad. And this is real. This is all real. Here's the castanet pause. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, this is an advertisement for better help. I have frequently attended therapy for the past 20 years when I experience anxiety or depression or when I have difficulty naming and labelling my emotions identifying my emotions I often seek the help of a professional therapist to improve my emotional literacy I've attended therapy in person and I've attended therapy online if online therapy is something you might be interested in Give better help a try. It's entirely online, it's convenient, flexible, and it's suited to your schedule. All you gotta do is fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So give it a go. Get it off your chest with better help. Visit betterhelp.com slash blindby today to get ten percent off your first month. That's better H-E-L-P dot com slash blind boy. There you go. Um, 
Support from this podcast comes from you, the listener. This is a 100%. This is a fucking cyberpunk podcast. Beholden to no one. Alright? Okay. Um, I have to put it out on fucking Google and Spotify and all these giant corporations. But I'm not beholden to anyone. No advertiser owns me. No one tells me what to do. I'm here in my cyberpunk studio. Talking about whatever the fuck I want to talk about. And... No one can say don't talk about that or that's boring. I want I want you to do um, a podcast about whatever's trending on the internet. No, I do whatever the fuck I want because this podcast is supported by you, the listener. The community of this podcast via the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast. As a result of the global pandemic, the goblin of strange and uncertain times. I am not able to do gigs, don't know when I'll be able to do gigs, so this podcast is my sole source of income, this podcast is how I earn a living, this podcast is time consuming and it's a lot of work, so if you're listening to it, all I'm asking for is please consider paying me for the work that I'm doing. If you're enjoying it and you're consuming it, just give me the price of a pint or a cup of coffee once a month, that's all I'm asking for. Patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast. If you can't afford that, you don't have to pay it. If you can afford it, if you're working, please consider it. Um someone a few months back, they still have their job, they're working from home, but they're saving a lot of money on petrol and parking and shit. So that was their justification for becoming a patron of this podcast. I plug it every single week because people come and go, so I have to. Um but if you can't afford it, don't be beating yourself up. You can listen for free and someone else is paying for you to listen to to this. It's a very sound democratic model, which I'm fond of. And I earn a living from it. Everyone's fucking happy. All right. Also, like the podcast, leave a review for it on whatever app you're using. If you're using the iPhone app, leave a review and like it. That really helps me. Same with Spotify. Follow the podcast. All that shit. Okay, thank you. Also, regarding the patrons, I pick one patron each month. I contact them and pick you at random. I will send you a hand drawing in the post. A special drawing just for you that I draw and sign. And it's a one of a kind and no one else will have it. Uh, So that's like just a little lottery if you become a patron of the podcast. Patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast. Thank you. Come watch me on Twitch as well. Yee yee cunts. Come look at me on Twitch. Have fun. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Twitch.com forward slash the blind by podcast. There you go. So, 1992. Billy Idol's got a broken leg. I said to you, this started because I'm like, I learned guitar on Billy Idol's childhood guitar. I wonder what he's up to now. What happened to his career? And this is the start of what happened to Billy Idol's career and how he could go from the big one of the biggest artists in the world to not being the biggest artist in the world and it all stems from that journalist called legs bringing up the subject of cyberpunk with billy idol because he started to obsess over it billy idol went and learned as much as possible about what cyberpunk was the the name just stuck in his head he loved the punk part because he's an old school punk but he found the cyber part particularly interesting because he'd just gotten himself an Apple Macintosh computer and 
he was a very early user of the internet in 1991, which is, it's something you found with a lot of famous people. A lot of famous people in the late 80s, early 90s, David Bowie is another example. 1992, I believe, is before the World Wide Web. Or, no, no, the World Wide Web, I think, was like 1990, but it would have been in its absolute and utter infancy. So, people who used the internet in the 80s and 90s, it was very strange and very niche and a small group of people who had access to personal computers and access to a modem. It was... Internet users were either wealthy or complete and utter tech nerds. Um, Like, the reason famous people were using the internet earlier is they had the money to have access to a home computer and the anonymity. David Bowie used to use what were known as message boards and a message board, I don't know, it'd be like boards.ie. It's it's just a community in the 80s or early 90s where people would, using only text, speak to each other on the screen. What, it like like WhatsApp, except with strangers. They, they, now, this is unlike anything you or I know as the internet. It was a tiny, niche community, and it was very radical. And these people were either complete nerds or people who identified as cyberpunks. People who were doing this as a, as a radical act. Okay? And Billy Idol started to get into this. He started to get into this cyberpunk thing and this cyberpunk idea. And this is the beginning of the demise of his career. Because he has this... He starts to think of releasing an album that's called Cyberpunk. Okay? Now, this is... How can I... This would be like Justin Bieber. In terms of how radical this concept is. Imagine Justin Bieber like has a, a voice box 3D printed and is, has his voice box surgically replaced with a 3D printed one and talks like a robot. That's the 2020 equivalent of just how bizarre this is. Billy Idol was massive. He was huge. He was a pop punk rock star on MTV and then he breaks his leg has a conversation, becomes obsessed with cyberpunk and decides he's going to do something very radical and new and unlike anything that's been seen before. And it ruined his career. So his album, Cyberpunk, was released in 1993. It was an absolute commercial failure. It was critically torn to pieces. Okay? In 2020, I think he deserves a hell of a lot more respect. A hell of a lot more respect than that. In 2020, like, it's, it's so, it's, musically, it's not a particularly good album. Alright, I'll be honest. I went and listened to it last night. There's a cover of a Velvet Underground song called Heroin, which I do think is listenable. It's it's not a particularly listenable album, but that's not why I think it deserves respect. The as a piece of art, as a concept, 
Billy Idol's cyberpunk album was fucking years ahead of its time in many different aspects. And it doesn't have to be good for... Something can be not good and also be hugely important. That's the nature. I would refer to it as avant-garde. The avant-garde... The the, the phrase avant-garde comes from... It's an old military term. When an army was advancing, there was a small number of soldiers, the avant-garde, who would go miles ahead of the the larger army and the purpose of the avant-garde was to discover new territory and they might die. They might die and they might also lead the army into their deaths. But the point of the avant-garde, it wasn't about being good soldiers, it wasn't about winning battles, it was about being the ones to find something new first, even if that meant failure. And Billy Idol's album, Cyberpunk, is... A commercial failure, a critical failure, and without being too harsh, maybe an aesthetic failure as well. But as a piece of fucking art, a concept, it is not a failure. And 2020, he, he, Billy Idol's album needs to be reappraised in 2020 as a very important visionary piece of work. And I'll explain why. Um, firstly, from a musical perspective, alright... Cyberpunk, the album, Billy Idol's album, does not sound like anything else Billy Idol made. <clears throat> Why? Because in 1991, when he began recording it, instead of going to a music studio, Billy Idol decided he was going to, because he's taken from the punk, the whole thing with, he's an old school punk from the 70s, DIY, do it yourself. He decided, I'm not going to go to a music studio. I'm going to get a computer, an Apple Macintosh, and I'm going to make the music on the computer. In 1991, this was in its utter infancy. Nobody was, nobody in the mainstream. Now, Billy Idol isn't the first to do this shit, but nobody in the fucking mainstream, with with a platform that he has, is going to say, I'm going to get this Apple Macintosh computer in 1991 with shitty software, And I'm going to be one of the first to make a mainstream pop album by myself on a fucking computer. Now, this is completely normal now. This is now everyone now makes their music on a computer and studios are going out of business, making it at home by themselves. But not in 90 fucking 91. Musically, the album sounds like kind of nine inch nails it has an industrial feel it doesn't sound like Billy Idol it has an electronic vibe and it's clearly self-produced um the reason cyberpunk the album was a a failure I think it, it was conceptually it's a bit scattered right now Billy Idol is I've seen a lot of interviews with him talking about it he's not particularly articulate Okay. Now, I don't mean I don't want to say that as as a critique of someone's intelligence. Sometimes people will equate intelligence with a person's ability to communicate ideas, and that's not right. Okay. Billy Idol is someone he's clearly intelligent because he's radical enough to have the concept of doing something that's different to anyone else is doing, but he is unable to verbalize precisely and exactly what he's doing. There's plenty of people out there, lads, who are fantastic at verbalising ideas, but the ideas that they're verbalising are utterly stupid, such as people on the far right. 
So Cyberpunk Billy Idol's album is a concept album. And this is where it starts to get silly. It's a concept album made on a computer about making an album on a computer. So it's a concept album about making an album on a computer, but it's made on a computer. So right there, that's the first kind of fall down, because that doesn't really make sense. Um, Another thing is when he was doing interviews for the album, for the promo, he demanded that every journalist who spoke to him had to read a copy of William Gibson's Neuromancer. If they were to even have an interview with Billy Idol about the cyberpunk album. But it would appear that Billy Idol himself had not read Neuromancer. Instead kind of glanced through it and had some vague ideas. What it would appear is... I'm sure Billy Idol went at this cyberpunk concept with utter passion. But he appears to have, instead of actually reading the literature and going deep into what cyberpunk was and what it is, he went onto the early internet onto a message board called Well, I think it was called, and spoke to a lot of people who were involved in the cyberpunk movement and cherry-picked ideas from cyberpunk without giving it any great depth. Um, So the recording process of cyberpunk was revolutionary for an artist of his time to take such huge risks and to record it himself on a Macintosh computer when it was at least 10 years before a sentence like that sounds normal. Artists weren't seriously recording on, on computers at home until 1997 and it wasn't normalised at least until I started learning production lads on computers in 2006 and even in 2006 it was strange and people had little faith in it that you could make music on a computer Um, the second thing about Billy Idol's cyberpunk album that is utterly revolutionary and flopped at the time but time now shows that he was right how he made the music videos for the singles for the fucking album so there was one song called Blendo and he was making videos for the, the, the songs. And the way he did it. A quote from him at the time. They asked him, uh, can you elaborate on how you made the Blendo video? And Billy Idol says, I loved Lawnmower Man. And through a group of friends, ended up meeting Brett Leonard. He and I swarmed various images with high eight cameras. Me at the acupuncturist. Me at the alpha spa. Me at a, a mind gym. Whatever the fuck a mind gym is. Various LA landscapes. Related images and we fed them back through a band of desktop computers. The operators of these computers act as musicians. For as they hear the music being played back in real time, they edit the images one on top of each other. I've been building a blendo bed of footage to use on the tour. Like, that's very revolutionary. That's Billy Idol... Again, for the music videos, creating music, but then having several people, getting a load of random footage, having several people on several different computers and conducting them like a visual orchestra to create a video. Now, the end results weren't particularly mind-blowing, but that process is... I mean, that's what people do now on Adobe Premiere when you make a music video now. 
back then making a music video meant you probably shoot it on film you have to really plan it in advance you have to have a shot list you have to know what you're doing you didn't have the luxury of simply record 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 and worry about it in the edit that now that's normal now that's why fucking the Martin Scorsese film on, on Netflix The Irishman is four hours long that's why films are really long now you record it digitally it's never ending you can record as much as you want and worry about it in the edit Billy Idol was doing that in 1991 with the music videos for the cyberpunk album quite interestingly too all this footage that he was having recorded to use for the music videos he also intended to get you know thousands and thousands of hours of random images and footage to project on the screens at his live gigs and a quote he said in 1992 about his intentions again i think in 2020 he managed to predict what live gigs are like are like now he said we're going to be lit by these stream of consciousness images it's going to be almost like that's your mind and we'll have four people swarming the gig with camcorders which they'll put live into this blend and the people from the audience can bring their own footage god knows it could be anything could be them with their girlfriends but we're going to take their footage and we'll put it up on screen live at the gigs and i think this will give us a vision of what rock and roll gigs should be like we're working we're pushing the technology to the edge and so I, th- I think I don't think Blendo was the name of the video. I think Blendo was the name of the process that he'd come up with of using footage in a live way, and and what he's just described there in 1991, that's what's happening now. Everyone goes to a gig and we record it ourselves on our own phones, and then sometimes the artists will even take that gig footage. Like one of the biggest things on the internet right now is is known as a fan cam. Like, if you're on Twitter and you search uh, K-pop bands in particular, like BTS, these big Korean bands, fans go to gigs, record their own footage of the artist and post their own fan cams. So he correctly predicted that with Cyberpunk 2, even though at the time people thought he was mad. And finally, I think the, the most important element of the Cyberpunk album And why it's so revolutionary and deserves respect in 2020. And respect doesn't mean we say that it's good or it's listenable. It means saying saying to Billy Idol, fair fucking play for your effort. Um, People were wrong to critically pan what you were doing and to laugh at you for what you were doing. Because do you know what? It's 30 years on and you were fucking right. You were right and people need to apologise. Billy Idol promoted the album through the internet in 1992. The internet wasn't even, it wasn't a thing. It, this, this wasn't being done. Now, Frank Zappa in the late 80s had suggested uh, sending people music via telephone lines. Todd Rundgren is another artist who'd messed around with the internet earlier. But no one on Billy Idol's scale. Or scale. Billy Idol was huge. And he was using... Uh, an early internet message board to communicate with cyberpunk aficionados, cyber people who were in the cyberpunk community. He was using an early internet message board called The Well. And now here is the second uh, instance of nominative, n- nominative determination in this podcast. The first one was the journalist called Legs, who looked at Billy Idol's legs and said, you remind me of a cyborg. Here's the second one. 
Billy Idol was using an early internet message board called The Well, which was founded by a man called Larry Brilliant. And Larry Brilliant, before founding The Well, is instrumental in eradicating smallpox. So that there is nominative determinism. He was born Larry Brilliant. And it's like your second name is Brilliant. What are you going to do with that? I'm going to eradicate smallpox and be an integral part in the early internet. Fuck you. But anyway. And he... First off, for the process of making the album, he was heavily involved in cyberpunk internet communities to speak to them about ideas. They got pissed off about it. They felt that the he appropriated cyberpunk culture, picked bits out of it and didn't show it respect. Um, he was promoting the album via early internet boards. Um, when journalists were told about the album, they were sent a floppy disk with lyrics on it and excerpts of songs. He was actively using technology to really try and strip down what is an album, what is music, what can technology do for all aspects. He's, he's creatively looking at the cutting edge of how an album is recorded, how the videos for the album are made and how the album is distributed and promoted. So that's and in, that for me is an entire rounded piece of art. Yes, he's flawed in his thinking. Yes, mistakes are being made. Yes, it's fucking ridiculous. It's a concept album made on a computer up and and the concept is it, I can't even fucking describe it's an album made on it's a concept album made on a computer but the concept is that it's it's an album about an album made on a computer I mean that's like Flann O'Brien like Flann O'Brien's the third or at Swim Two Birds it's a book about a man writing a book and then the characters in his book write a book about him except Flann O'Brien was doing it from a perspective really masterful postmodern art and it's a masterpiece and knew what he was doing Billy Idol seemed to be had this really class idea but didn't fully follow through intellectually with it. Why did it ruin his career? Why did this destroy his fucking career? Um, You have to view what he was doing in the context of wider culture. 1993, who's the biggest band in the world? Nirvana. Nirvana changed fucking everything. Nirvana ushered in, into the mainstream, postmodernism. Alright, it Nirvana made postmodernism mainstream, and what postmodernism is is it is fucking ironic and it is cynical. Now, ironically, cyberpunk is very postmodern. Pure cyberpunk, Philip K. Dick, Blade Runner, uh, William Gibson, J.G. Ballard, very fucking ironic postmodern art forms they critique the future they critique corporations they critique power they critique technology they're ironic but Billy Idol's cyberpunk was not ironic it was 100% sincere and sincerity is not a tenet of postmodernism sincerity is the enemy of postmodernism you look at what Nirvana were doing like, like 1993, you would have had a, a video like In Bloom. So what Nirvana were doing at the time that was revolutionary is they were, 
and I did a podcast on this before on Nirvana's music. Postmodernism uses nostalgia. Okay, nostalgia was a huge part of postmodernism. Quentin Tarantino, 1994, a year after Billy, Al- Billy Idol's fucking album. Nostalgia looks to the past and it, it takes the fuzzy childhood memory that we have of cultural artifacts, artifacts from our childhood and then it regurgitates them back in an ironic, funny, juxtaposed way that makes it dark. You look at Nirvana's video for their song In Bloom which is the lads in Nirvana black and white on television as if it's the um, the Ed Sullivan show when the Beatles are first on it in 1962, which is a cultural memory that would have been in American people's minds of the first time the Beatles went on TV, black and white TV, and you've got an audience of screaming girls, and the Beatles were, they had slightly long hair, but they're wearing suits, and they look like nice boys, and they're singing this music with smiling faces, smiling to the camera, and the girls are screaming, and this is an iconic moment from the 60s in America, and Nirvana's video for In Bloom is Nirvana looking exactly like the Beatles in the 60s on black and white TV, but fucking the bass player Kurt Novislik is is wearing a dress and the music is as far removed from the Beatles as you can get <clears throat> it's based in the chord structures of the Beatles but it has a distortion and an, and an, an aggression and an irony and a sadness and an anger which is a, a pastiche it's juxtaposing the memory of the Beatles we'll say on the Ed Sullivan show so that's irony and irony you can't be sincere about something when you're being ironic. So Nirvana had changed the landscape in the early 90s where if, if you're being sincere, you're simply fucking uncool. And Billy Idol approached this album with, with what, what in 1992 was utter cringy sincerity. He's not critiquing anything. Well, he, th- he thinks he's critiquing something, but he's not doing it ironically. He's not playing by the rules of culture, the zeitgeist at that time. He is, with utter sincerity, looking towards the future. And you don't do that. <clears throat> Nerds weren't cool in 1992. Nerds are cool now. Nerds are very, very cool now. Mainstream culture is fucking Marvel films. If you liked fucking Batman in 1992... You were a, a nerd who lived in your mother's basement and you were chastised and the piss was taken out of you and you were so far from, from what was considered cool if you were a nerd in 1992. If you were using the internet in 1992, you were deeply, deeply uncool. You were a fucking nerd with no life and all you did is you cared about numbers and you were on the computer. Think of that Simpsons episode where Homer goes to college. Homer goes to fucking college and he's hanging out with nerds who are using the internet, who are on the internet all day. They're playing Dungeons and Dragons. The cyberpunk tabletop game from 1988 was just a futuristic version of Dungeons and Dragons. Billy Idol was hanging with nerds. That moment in The Simpsons where Bart says to Homer and Homer's like, I've gone to college. I'm in college and I'm hanging out with these cool guys and we play Dungeons and Dragons all day. And we're on the internet. And Bart goes, you're hanging with nerds. And then Homer goes, but nerds are my sworn enemy. I'm a cool jock. 
Billy Idol did the most uncool thing you could possibly imagine. He believed in something. He believed in something and he looked towards the future. And it was <clears throat> completely out of tone and out of touch with Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Quentin Tarantino and culture at the time. And it was so fucking uncool and embarrassing. He was also in his fucking early 30s. And you better not fuck up in your early 30s because you look like a da. He dared to be sincere at the height of postmodern irony. And it ruined his fucking career. It destroyed his career. And I just want to do this podcast to say that I think Billy Idol deserves respect for the 1993 album Cyberpunk. He was visionary. He took massive fucking risks. He ruined his career doing it. Fair fucking play to him for such a beautiful failure. And to have the naivety and courage. Like what he should have been doing was wearing ripped jeans and growing his hair greasy and wearing dirty cardigans and trying his best to sound like Kurt Cobain. He didn't. He started wearing leather and spiked his fucking hair up and looked like your man Max Headroom and said, this album's about robots. Here's an album made on a computer and it's about making albums on a computer. And a very, the title track on it was very, he, he was about the LA riots. About a cyberpunk version of him in the LA riots. And, I don't know. I just think it needs a reappraisal. And someone needs to give him a pat on the back and say, people didn't get it at the time, but we now live in fucking hell. We live in a dystopian tech hell. And you got it right, Billy. And Kurt Cobain didn't. <laughs> Do you know? You think as well of like Kurt Cobain. Rage Against the Machine were another huge act at the time. And Rage Against the Machine were the last warning. Like, ra like Rage Against the Machine were highly political. And Rage Against the Machine were warning us. Saying, this is our music. Now we're going to tell you that the world is about to be taken over by huge corporations. Like Rage Against the Machine filmed the music video on Wall Street and had Wall Street shut down for the day. Rage Against the Machine were screaming at us. The banks control the world. The world is racist. The corporations are going to take over. We're, we need to. This music has to be really loud and I need to scream about it and you need to listen. And we didn't listen. We didn't listen and Billy Idol got it right and now we live in a cyberpunk dystopian future with no flying cars, the world is burning, there's a global pandemic, and we've uploaded our consciousness to social media, and someone needs to fucking tell Billy Idol, fair play to him. Where did it go wrong? 9-11, this is a separate podcast that I'm going to do, because it's a boiling hot take that I'm bubbling up, 9-11 is where it went wrong, that was the death of postmodern irony, Rage Against the Machine were warning us, 9-11 happens, and then sincerity becomes mainstream again. Why? Because fucking the American... 9-11 happens. Ameri George Bush turns around and goes, um, I think it was Afghanistan and Iraq. And then the world goes, Nah, it wasn't, George. wasn't at all. And he goes, It was. We're going into Iraq. And then France said in the UN, We are not supporting you in your war in Iraq. And then America turned around and said, 
well then we're changing the name of French fries to Freedom Fries. And everyone said, that's normal. And then George Bush introduces the war on terror, which is a war on a concept, and introduces a thing called the Patriot Act, which was a way to strip people's liberties and privacy. Basically, if we think you're a terrorist, we can tap your phone, we can do whatever the fuck we want and fuck your constitutional rights. What comes out of that? The NSA, the NSA uh, and all that Facebook shit and what Obama did. That right there, that's the start of it. And now what happens? The tech companies rule the world and all our data is not private. There you go. Um, I still have Billy Idol's childhood guitar. It's in my mother's attic. I'm going to get my hands in it over the next couple of days. Hopefully I might bring it on my live stream and play a few songs on Billy Idol's childhood guitar. Even though I've had it for over two decades, I understand that it's still on loan. So if, so if if Billy Idol or members of his family want to repatriate the guitar, you're more than welcome to it. It's not mine. It's still on loan. I I don't know. I Okay, I know for a fact that Brian Eno listens to this podcast. Johnny Marr from the Smiths listens to this podcast. One of the lads from Oasis listens to this podcast. Bono listens to this podcast. There's enough people in the music industry who probably know Billy Idol. Robbie Williams listens to the podcast. There's enough people who listen to this podcast who probably know Billy Idol to give him a text and say, listen to this podcast, it's about you. So Billy, if you hear this and you want your childhood guitar back, give me a shout, I will give it back to you. I'm merely hanging on to it. It's resting in my mother's attic. I'll talk to you next week. Don't know what next week's podcast is going to be about. Um, my voice is nearly gone now because of that cyberpunk rant God bless mind yourself have a bit of self compassion Um, any of the shit there that I said that was quite dystopian don't be letting it bring you down there there was a tinge of irony there as well a bit of irony going on we don't live in postmodernism anymore now we've got metamodernism that's the thing it's like modernism is about sincerity Postmodernism is that Nirvana irony, and now what we've got is metamodernism, which is sincerity and irony existing alongside each other. What do you mean, blind boy? Well, I've got a plastic bag on my head and I look like a clown, and people listen to me for mental health advice. That's sincerity and irony existing perfectly alongside each other, and it's okay. So, um, don't allow me and my talking about uh, us living in this dystopia bring you down too much. It's not that bad. You you can still have meaning in your existence. There's still hope. Um I'm happy. Um I I understand and acknowledge that life contains inevitable suffering, that this is the price that we pay for love. Um I accept that I have no control over what happens, but I have full control over my attitude towards what happens, and the liberation of that realization allows me to be happy and have meaning. You know? And not everyone can have that. Everyone can have that. All right, so mind yourself. Be compassionate towards yourself. Be compassionate towards other people. Rub a dog. Feed a cat. Notice a fucking leaf. Listen to the sound of water. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Smell the air at nighttime as it changes into autumn. You know, that's the real stuff. As Warner Hartzog would say, that's the real stuff. All right, Yart. 